I've told you, um, and it seems day before yesterday, about starting in kindergarten, our first grade. On my birthday, 1965, August the 30th, across the corner over there where the parsonage was, just thinking how grossly unfair it was that I had to go to school on my birthday, it just didn't seem right. I remember crying and walking down the front steps, going to Hammond Elementary School, which is now a high-rise retirement home right down the road. I thought was fairly prepared for elementary school because I had graduated from Annie House Cook Kindergarten, a part of First Baptist Church of Sandy Springs. Um, and I remember a few things about kindergarten and a few things about the first grade. Anybody in here remember something specific they learned in kindergarten or the first grade? Something specific. I remember one poem. Charlie Duncan, you remember the wise old owl stood to know? You and I had to recite that one. That's all I remember from kindergarten. <laughs> First grade, I remember Dick and Jane. I learned how to read with Dick and Jane and Spot and Puff. That's how they called back then. You perhaps remember that. In the time when Jesus walked the earth, he grew up in an Orthodox Jewish region of Israel called Galilee. And I'm going to talk about their education system. In Galilee, most Jewish boys began school at the age of six. One rabbi is reported to have said, under the age of six, we do not receive a child as a people that it wants to understand. But from six upwards, we accept him and stuff him like an ox. That's what they said about their educational system. Once they got at the age of six, they would stuff him like an ox. In that day and in that time, schooling was only for boys. Girls would learn at home with their mothers. In school, beginning at the age of six, they would teach the young boys the Torah. The first five books of our Old Testament, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy. So when you turn six, and you went to school in Galilee, you would start memorizing Genesis 1. And they would teach you from that point on. Torah, which is where they began to be teaching instruction or simply the way. That's why they called it, because it was the way to them. The first century historian Josephus said this. He said, above all else, we pride ourselves on the education of our children. It was quite a system. The first level of education was called Bet Sefer, which means house of book. It lasted until the student was about 12 years old. So the six-year-old from Galilee would begin memorizing the Torah. And by age 12, they would know it by heart first five books of our Old Testament memorized. You will notice in Scripture when Jesus is telling a story in the New Testament, you will notice that he'll refer to the, birth, to 
to a verse in the Old Testament. Jesus said it was written and he would say something and the people in the audience would seem to know, at least the men would, because they had to learn it. They knew what he was talking about often. Memorization was also necessary because this is, oh, 1,400 years before the printing press. You wouldn't have your own copy of anything. Probably the whole village that you were in would have one copy of a handwritten Old Testament. The scribes had done. And the one valuable copy in your village would have been kept in the synagogue in a closet named the Torah Ark. You can go next door and see a Torah Ark where I think they have five copies of the synagogue next door. The rabbis who did the teaching were the most respected members of the community. And you had to be bright to be a rabbi. They were the best of the best, the smartest of the students. Not just anybody could be a rabbi. By the age of 12, when you should have memorized the first five, cuts were made. If you'd done it, and you were the best of the best, you continued in your learning, you went to Beth Talbot, which is House of Learning, and you stayed there until you were 16. Students who didn't make the cut, some of us might identify with those, they would go home and learn the family trade. They'd be farmers and fishermen and carpenters and tent makers. That's what they would do. But the boys that made the cut, the best of the best, would memorize the rest of the Hebrew scriptures. The rest of them. By age 15 or 16, when we were getting learner's permit, they memorized the Old Testament, Genesis through Malachi. 39 of the books. Memorized. For those that were able to do that and make it through that rigorous study period, they would study for another 15 years with a rabbi to prepare to be a rabbi at the age of 30. Luke 3, verse 23 tells us that Jesus was 30 when he began his ministry. Jesus was about 30 years old when he began his public ministry. Jesus was known as the son of Joseph. Joseph was the son of heaven. It was no coincidence that Jesus started his earthly ministry in 30. That's when they felt that a rabbi would be qualified after all of the study to teach. This has been a long introduction to help us view a New Testament story with maybe fresh eyes. Before we look at that, let's pray together. Father, we thank over the years of what we have learned. Maybe we made some cuts and maybe we didn't. We think of how in your day people learned and the importance of scriptures. Let those scriptures, new and old, be important to us. Let us commit ourselves to study and to learning but let us be thankful for what we are about to read and to see this story in a new way. Father, 
loving close to us today and help us to understand what this truly means for us here and now. Amen. Matthew chapter 4 is where we're going, beginning at verse 18. Matthew 4, verse 18 through 22. One day as Jesus was walking along the shore of the Sea of Galilee, he saw two brothers, Simon, also called Peter, and Andrew, throwing a net into the water, for they, were, they fished for a living. Jesus called out to them, Come follow me, and I'll show you how to fish for people. And they left their nets at once, and they followed him. A little farther up the shore, he saw two other brothers, James and John, sitting in a boat with their father's Zebedee, repairing their nets, and he called them to come too. They immediately followed him, leaving their boat and their father behind. We looked at how the system worked and how you were chosen to be a disciple and follow a rabbi. And when you think about that and you look at this story, there's a serious breach of custom here. This just didn't happen. Disciples were responsible for acquiring their own teacher if they made the cut. And here, Jesus is picking. These boys were fishing. What's that tell you? They didn't make the cut. When they got 12, it was like, guys, Simon Peter, Andrew, James, John, thanks but no thanks. Go home. And they went home and they were doing what? They could do. They flunked out. And now they're too old, it seems. We don't know their ages. But here they are fishing. And they hear a rabbi, the rabbi, the Son of God, come and say, You come follow me. You come be my disciple. This is new stuff. This is fabulous stuff. Verse 20, if you would notice, about Simon Peter and Andrew, it says, they left their nets at once and followed him. There was no discussion. There was no debate. There was no, let's go check. This is winning the lottery. This is once-in-a-lifetime opportunity. And at once, they go. James and John, verse 22, look what it says about them. They immediately, immediately, at once followed him, leaving the boat and their father behind. <laughs> Maybe it should also say, and it's implied, leaving their old life and leaving their failures and leaving their disappointments behind. John had to be smiling as we're about to look at another scripture as he was inspired to write the scripture. Jesus was teaching one day about his relationship with his followers. And you know the story from John that Jesus was the vine and the followers were the branches and you have to abide in me. You'll bear, you, you know that section of scripture. I bet John smiled as he heard Jesus say in John chapter 15, the first part of verse 16, Jesus said this. You didn't choose me. 
I chose you. And John's got to be thinking, yeah, you did. Yeah, you did. I, I'm going to vote with my brother. I remember that day vividly, John has to thank you. There you came, and you did choose me. And John probably goes back to his early days and what he learned and what he didn't learn and how he didn't make the cut. Was he disappointed or did he want to fish? I don't know, but Jesus looked at it. You did not choose me. I chose you. It's hard for us to understand their great joy. You've likely wondered in the past as you've read this, how is it they just ran after Jesus so quickly at once, immediately? Now maybe you understand a little bit better. I do as I read this. That now they have a change start, a fresh slate. Their past failures are over, and now of all things, a rabbi, more importantly, Jesus himself, was calling them to be his disciple. His disciple. It is shocking. It is wonderful. 2,000 years later, 2,000 years later, here we gather. And I think these words are for us, too. For all of us. I love this lesson <coughs> that we don't have to be the best of the best to be a disciple. We can, at times, have not made the cut and still be a disciple. We can, at times, have had failures and disappointments and still be a disciple. There are no cuts here. God will not turn you away. In Indiana, I coached soccer, which was the best sport in the world to coach in Indiana on the high school level because all they care about in Indiana is basketball. <laughs> that is all that matters. And I coached soccer, and in Indiana, soccer is a game. It is not a sport. It is just a game to them that children play. And so I was a high school coach for four years when Taylor played. And we just had a lot of fun. But one of the things that I could not do as a coach was make cuts. I just couldn't do it. And maybe the reason I couldn't make cuts is because I had been cut so many times in my childhood and had those disappointments. And so anybody that would come would play a little bit. And when we read this, and we see that you didn't choose me, I chose you, and we think about the cuts, I am so relieved. My friends Jim and Carol Wright are in the front row, and we reconnected a few months back because of Kay Hall running into them somewhere. And I don't know which one of you said this out in the foyer, they said, David is a preacher. We just had to come and see that. <laughs> Which one of you two was a guilty party about? Do you recall? And they were probably both very like-minded about that. You know, when Kay and Bill came in 1970, the first thing they should have done was pop some of our heads off. There are no cuts here. God will not turn you away in fact. The fabulous part is he's looking for you. And he has been, and he's gone out of his way to find you. 
But after we become a disciple, we need to mimic the master and follow the rabbi and become like Christ. The student needs to become like the teacher. John the Baptist, who grew up in this system, put, put it this way. This is not John who was called the disciple. This is John the Baptist. You know the difference. John said this about Jesus. Chapter 3, verse 30. John the Baptist, recorded by the Apostle John, said, He must increase, but I must decrease. A lot of you probably have committed that with memory and love that verse. <coughs> so the student needs to become like the teacher. And my will needs to decrease, and his will needs to increase, and my temper needs to decrease, and his needs to increase, and my thoughts need to decrease, and his need to increase. My vision and my hope and my desires and my personality are very big. And don't you love seeing that change? And seeing the disciples become like the teacher. Because we see that in the lives of other Christians. If you're here today and you're a Christian, you should be overflowing with gratitude and joy and thanksgiving that you were chosen. That you were born, when you were born, to whom you were born, and you had the opportunities that you have had. You should be giddy with excitement that God went out of his way to find you. Peter, Andrew, James, and John, like us, were chosen. Listen to Peter's words. I've always loved this section of scripture, and now I think I understand better why. 1 Peter chapter 2, verses 9 and 10. You are a chosen race. There's that word. A royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's own people. In order that you may proclaim the mighty acts of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. I've heard those words for years, but as I think about Peter reflecting, I think about the word chosen. I think about you should show forth praises to him who called you out, because he was called out. And then he says, once you were not a people, once you were nobody, once you did not make the cut, but then Jesus came along, and now you my prayer that all of us here believe in Jesus and follow him as our teacher. But we also need to know that Jesus believes in us because he chose you and here you are. The rabbi has called you. He thinks you have potential and that is good. When I was six years old, across the street in the old building, I used to love and play hide and seek. Probably one of our favorite childhood games, you probably loved it too. And I always liked being the one who hid. Because it was fun being sought 